guys, we are back for another episode of Permission Talk, and I could not even begin to explain how excited I am about this newbie to the Permission Talk table. She is all things everything in my book. She is an absolute uh, inspiration on a lot of levels. She is a author of a brand new book, The Garden Within. You should know if you don't know, and you should have the book in your library already. You can get it on Audible and everywhere books are sold. She is a trauma therapist. She's a life coach. She's doing all the things ministering all around the world but for me particularly she is like a god godmother in the faith dr anita phillips thank you for being on the permission talk thank you thanks for having me you doing well today how are you i am doing good it's a beautiful day and god is good so that's a good day <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want to start with um, just because the garden within is like just taking the world by storm. Kind of give me an idea or give me some insight as to why you wrote this book. Why is it the thing of why is it the thing that you chose to write about as for your first book? You know, this book has been in the making since I was a kid. I am okay. a pastor's kid, grew up in a house with uh, my older sister having a serious mental illness before any of us understood that kind of thing. And so my questions about illness, but also about what it means to be well at the intersection of faith and psychology have been brewing in me for a long, long time. And so as a student, I began to discover things that aligned between scripture and science. And those things were uh, found in a garden. And so mm. the garden within really is the explanation that God gave me for how he made us. And knowing how he made us makes all the difference. Ooh, I love it. Um, one thing that I can just say, having read the book that you really challenge is this idea, especially from a Christian standpoint, that we can think our way into freedom, um, but really understanding that there is a heart perspective in terms of making sure that our heart is in a position to be in a well place, to be our best self. Can you talk to us a little bit about the chasm between, or I should say the contrast between thinking your way into freedom versus actually having a heart that is positioned for freedom? Well, I think it's important to point out that it's not just the church who emphasizes this idea of being Ooh. able to think ourselves well, but this is one okay. of the ways that we actually fail to have a biblical worldview. We love oh. to claim that we have a biblical worldview, but as I say in the book, it's easier claimed than lived because we don't recognize how we brought the cultural ideas about the mind into our theology. But that's one thing where the church and the world agree and shouldn't. The Bible has mm. always pointed out that the heart. Oh, you can't just do that. You can't. You can't pass by that fast. No, 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 no. One more time. One more time. It, that's one of the things that the church and the world should not agree on. Should not agree do. on. But they have. We have. We have. We have made it into scriptural language, talking about renewing the mind and having the mind of Jesus. And the world worships intellect. It was the original sin. This is how Satan convinced the woman finally to take the fruit she wasn't supposed to eat. He said that it will make you wise. You will know good and evil like God. And so the idea of elevating the mind was actually the impetus for the fall. Had she Woo! just kept the word of God hidden in her heart, she would not have had this challenge. And so we have been again and again committing the original sin almost every day as we try to elevate our mind above what God has said to our hearts. God is concerned with our emotional space. And so in the parable of the sower, Jesus points out that we are like gardens, that we are the field where the seeds are sown, Matthew chapter 13, and that the soil is the heart. And Jesus talks about joy and anger and fear and anxiety and different things affecting that soil. And so we know that our emotions are important. 
that that's where God chose to sow the seeds of the word, not the mind. And so our emotional well-being is critical to how everything else goes for us, spiritually, mentally, and biologically. Woo. So help me understand with that being true, where does the language of being renewed by the, um, transformed by the renewing of your mind or as a man think is so easy, how does it fit into our spectrum as a Christian in mm-hmm. light of it being from a heart place first? Sure. Well, first, for one thing, we, we, truncate that verse about as a man thinketh so is he it actually says as a man thinketh in his heart in his heart so yeah. is he. <laughs> so it's again right there on the page but culturally we don't like heart we don't like emotion so even mm. our abbreviation of that verse shows that we are culturally assaulting scripture but it says as they think in their heart we have to pay attention to our blind spots you know we study Woo! culture in which the word was written but we don't study the culture in which is being read to recognize that we are missing things that matter. The word heart or words translated to the English word heart occur almost a thousand times in scripture. Words that translate to the word mind less than a hundred times. And Jesus himself never used the word mind. He is not quoted using the word mind except for one instance. And that's when he says that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind. So even when Jesus did mention the mind, he was telling us how to love. And it came later in the verse. Paul wrote a few verses about the mind and we gather those and then stand on them as if they are the doctrine. But just as the heart comes before the mind, Jesus comes before Paul. And so we need to be with Jesus first. Because as Paul himself said, did I die for you? Did did, did I die for you? So Jesus first. So when we understand this um, imagery of the garden that the Bible gives us again and again and recognize that the soil is our heart, that our heart is the soil of our lives and the mind is the plant that's growing. So to renew the mind, yes, you need to pluck something up and plant a new belief. But if the soil is not fertile for that new thing, you cannot have a garden that exceeds the health of the soil. And so you can't renew the mind without first altering the heart. And that's why Jesus came for the heart. He wants to be received into your heart. He sows the words into your heart. Paul follows with some insights about the mind, but even Paul himself does not separate the mind out as the ultimate um, power source. In Romans chapter seven, Paul spends a lot of time vulnerably telling us that sometimes what's happening in his body takes his mind captive. Paul is clear that he does not always win the battle. And we've taken his admonitions as commandments, but do not be anxious is not the 11th commandment. Like Paul is not Jesus. He's saying, let's work on this. But then also remembering that sometimes the mind will fail. He said it. That his mind is taken captive by a law in his members, but he doesn't even talk about repenting. He doesn't talk about feeling bad. He goes straight from there to say, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we really need to reevaluate how we've interpreted this because we cherry pick scriptures about the mind so that we can maintain the pride that goes along with ruling with our mind. And again, we can commit the original sin. Mm, I feel like you're daring us to feel and I'm daring to be okay with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with that said, I want to take some time to really just kind of talk about ways in which we can be our best self from a position of the heart. Um, we hear a lot. Uh, especially in today's time about having experienced trauma and, you know, at what point do we need to see a therapist? Can you just shed light as a trauma therapist as, as to what trauma is and when it's a point to which we need help? 
Sure. So in the garden, um, I like people to understand trauma as an earthquake. You know what would happen if you had a flourishing garden and then that garden was hit by an earthquake, how it would shake the soil loose, how plants would become uprooted, water would flow in a different place. Is it so destructive that we need to then reestablish the garden when the earthquake is over? And trauma is like that. It changes us biologically. So I want people to understand that trauma is a biological experience. It's not something that we think of. It happens in our body. Our nervous system is overwhelmed by the event and we're not able to truly absorb the impact in a way that doesn't hurt us. And so when we experience trauma, whether it's a single incident, um, a car accident, the unexpected or traumatic death of a loved one, or it could be a series of events, perhaps someone was sexually abused over some years as they grew up. Sometimes trauma isn't what happened. Sometimes it's what didn't happen. If you grew up Mm. in a place where love was not constant, it didn't happen, where affirmation didn't happen. That is also a loss. We call that developmental trauma because it impacts how we grow. So trauma actually has an impact on how our emotional and mental lives function because it changes our nervous system. So I want people to understand that it is biological. The second thing is that not every traumatizing event affects every person the same way. And we really need to recognize our personality and our temperament can have an impact. So the example I always give is that if you have a glass bowl and a wood block and you hit both with a hammer, the bowl will shatter, but the block will just nick. If you put a glass and a wood block underwater, The glass bowl will be unaffected, but the wood will warp. And so different circumstances have different effects on different people. So never compare your trauma to someone else's. Never say, well, that happened to me and I'm okay. What's wrong with her? We might have just been made out of different material. The thing that can break you is out there. So stay humble. After that, if you have been traumatized, it's okay to accept. And you need to accept that it was true. Sometimes we don't like to admit that something broke us. We don't like to admit that it hurt us. We don't want to believe that something that happened back then is affecting us now, right? We want to forget those things which are behind and we start quoting our spiritual bypass scriptures so we can fake like we're well. But the truth is your pain makes sense. That what happened to you that still hurts, it makes sense that it still hurts. And so knowing that, hey, this situation overwhelmed me and that the pain persists, embracing that is the first step to healing. If I'm dealing with trauma and I hear you, I want to embrace my heart. I want to ensure that the soil of my heart is fertile. Um, But I'm still just even having a hard time speaking about it. How do Mm -hmm. I invite someone into the space of my trauma when I have a hard time even dialoguing about it at this point? Yeah, for sure. One of the symptoms of trauma is that we avoid reminders of the event. So nobody necessarily wants to sit down and talk about it for the first time. But one of the first steps towards healing is to create safe space where you can connect with that story and even beginning to have a dialogue with yourself about it because we ignore it. We don't want to think about it, but having some safe space. So I encourage people to build quiet time into their lives. Just if you can get a, I know an hour a day sounds like a lot, but get what you can. Quiet time, put up safe um, barriers to make sure that only safe relationships are in your life. It's hard to begin to heal from trauma if you have relationships that are bringing it back up and giving you the same traumatic experience again. So safe relationships. You could start by journaling about it. You could start by just allowing yourself to um, accept that it hurt. Very small baby steps. But I encourage you, if you have a safe person in your life, to go ahead and say, hey, here's this thing I've never told anybody about. Because secrets weigh so much. And 
their power is in how you see yourself. Their power is in what they mean to you. But most people listening can think of at least one person who, if they told that secret, that person would embrace them. That person would say, I'm so sorry that happened. That person would say, well, no wonder you feel these things. Anybody would. There's somebody likely in your world who would. It's just you being afraid that if you open the box, you won't be able to close it again. But every single time somebody steps out and speaks, that me turns into a we because there has always someone else who has been there. And don't jump to the, well, let me start telling my story because it can help someone else. Let's start with, let me heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, I need to do this. God wants to use my story to help somebody else. It's like the only way we can move ourselves forward is if it's about somebody else. But baby, this is about you. I want you telling your story to heal you. I want it to free you. I want it to help you see yourself through eyes of love and acceptance because your sister, your um, pastor's wife, your mom, whoever God sends in your life is going to be the tangible hands and arms of God. When you share your story and experience what it means to be loved in that moment, that's for you. Why is it so hard for us to embrace us and take care of ourselves that way? Like to see ourselves before we project it out on helping everybody else. Like, what is that that makes it hard for us to do that? We just want to rush to the strength part. We want to avoid the pain part. And it feels good to help another person, but it can feel painful to sit and heal. But our goal is not to avoid pain. Because pain is a part of life. Emotional pain is a part of life. Jesus' life was marked by emotional pain. We never see it wipe him out, but we never see him avoid it. And so the belief that I can feel pain and not be overwhelmed, not be destroyed by it, not be overcome by it, when you've had a lot of pain, I get it. But there are different kinds of pain. There's a destructive pain, but then there's healing pain. When we lift weights, we might be sore the next day. But we don't think that we shouldn't have done the weightlifting. We know that the soreness is a byproduct of the work. And healing sometimes hurts too. But when I know this is just a byproduct of the work, I'm actually going to be okay. That's the mindset. But we've been taught to believe if it hurts, I'm doing something wrong and I'm not having faith. And that's a lie. Um, question about the whole idea of the healing process. Um, many times people feel as if, you know, like, well, man, I dealt with this three years ago and I felt like it was resolved, but then there was something that triggered me again. Can you walk us through the process of maybe, um, that you did heal in some regard, but maybe there was more healing that took place and just speak to the person that may feel overwhelmed by the fact that they feel like nothing was done because they still feel another measure of pain. Yeah. Ladies, have you gotten your hands on Dr. Jackie's latest book, Permission to Live Free? This book will bless your life. I'm telling you, you have to get your hands on it. It's all about living authentically who God created you to be. So even if you have the book, go ahead and grab another one and share it with somebody that needs this message. Okay. Scan the QR code, tap the link in the description box, get your hands on it ASAP. Yeah. So we misunderstand how these things work, right? You can pull weeds out of the ground and not see those weeds for five years. And then suddenly you come outside and those weeds are growing in your yard again. Something may have shifted in the soil that made them fertile for the weed again. Stress, a loss, grief can trigger old things. That doesn't mean that you didn't heal before. It just means that you're still a human being. We want healing to mean that I will never have this pain again. I'll never think about this again. But healing really is about embracing our entire selves, 
not fearing our feelings, being able to move through our painful feelings and regulate our emotions, not control them, not repress them, not manage them, but that our body can regulate so that if I get angry, I come back down. If I get scared, I come back down instead of staying heightened for extreme long periods of time. Healing is about that kind of regulation, not about once and for all, this will never happen again. And something to understand about life, I would say life is circular. We come around to different things. So if this is the pain, the torment, the loss, the trauma, and here you are, this happens, you know, as a kid and you were moving on with your life and then you graduate from college and you're reminded of it mm-hmm. and it brings it back. You know, maybe your parents got divorced or you lost your parent and they weren't at your college graduation. Boom, it hurts again. And then you kind of come through that. And then on your wedding day, pow, they're not here. And so some things cause new losses. It's not that you haven't healed from the loss. This loss is new. If you were sexually assaulted in childhood, like I was, and then you find that there are challenges in your sexual development or in your marriage, and you're just like, I thought I healed from this. Well, this is a new thing. So it's a new loss. Mm -hmm. And I have to grieve it because it just happened, not because I haven't healed from the past. So I need people to recognize that we may encounter new effects of the trauma or new losses based on something we lost before. And we will work through that. The key is when you hit it again, do you spiral down or do you spiral up? And spiraling down is, oh my gosh, I thought I was past this. I can't believe it. I never end saying, oh, here we are again. Okay. I embrace, I can grieve, I can journal, I can thank God, I can go to therapy, make sure that I get through this balance. And then we go on. But that's the way it is. With the cyclical process and nature of trauma, is there ever a point or even indicators at which we can actually say we're healed? Like when you said that you had childhood trauma in terms of um, sexual trauma, can mm-hmm. you like, is there something that you can actually practically say like, no, I've actually healed from that, that you can see in your life to be tangible proof of healing? Oh, for sure. And depending, no matter what the trauma is, um, I can give an example. I did some more trauma therapy myself just a couple of years ago. As I was writing the book, it was bringing back a lot of my childhood trauma around my sister's hallucinations. My sister's schizophrenia sometimes caused her to be violent. And so I had a lot of trauma growing up with her, as many people have who live with someone with a mental illness. And so I went through another round of trauma therapy called EMDR, which is meant to remove some of the triggers from your body so that your body doesn't respond in the same way. And after that, I went to visit my parents' home, which is where we grew up, for about a week, and I couldn't believe the difference in my body. Usually after a couple days of visiting there, I would just feel anxious. My body would feel tense. I might start having dreams about the things that happened with my sister. And this round, I just had such a peace in my body. And so while my memory wasn't gone, we had done the work for my nervous system to heal and no longer respond that way. So if you're really dealing with strong triggers from an event, I encourage you to go to a trauma therapist who can do that work with you in your body. EMDR is one approach. There's another one called somatic experiencing um, or SE. Search for a therapist who are trained in those areas, especially if you've done therapy before, talk through some things, feel like it got better, but you're still sensing that your body is responding to those trigger strongly. Uh, Trauma therapy that involves the body is incredible. It really taps into the ways that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Woo! That's good. That's good. If somebody walked into your office today and they said, 
Dr. Anita, I just don't feel like my best self. Mm. Um, and I just, I want to kind of know where to start from. I don't really know what it is that's kind of hindering me from being the fullness of who I've been created to be. Where do you start with them? Mm. Well, first I would ask them what it is that they love about themselves because we have embraced this idea of healing journeys and I love it, but so many of the healing journeys have no destination. Like we think we're always just going to be this problem to be solved and you are a person, not a problem to be solved. And so what is it that you do like about yourself? What is going well? Tell me the things that always seem to work out because there's a lot of great things about you. God loves you right now. And so I want people to just bring it down a notch. A lot of times we're just, we're always running for better, but like, how do you feel about you right now? Jesus died for you in your, what you might call your worst state. So stop and let's be loved where we are because it's not special if I only feel like he loves me when I'm perfect. And so that in itself probably is a trauma response. Um, then I would probably have people let me know what's happening in their body. Where are they emotionally and what's bringing up those feelings of inadequacy or not being their best self? What is it that they would like to feel? And is it realistic? Again, we will not have lives that are devoid of emotional pain. A lot of times just changing our perspective on emotions, that emotional pain doesn't mean I'm failing. It doesn't mean my faith isn't there. It doesn't mean that I'm not strong enough. And that emotional pain also um, is a part of life. And so having a healthy relationship with pain is one of the most powerful things you can do to improve your life, have a healthy relationship with pain and stop fearing feelings. So that's really sometimes good. I just like to correct a lot of stuff that's causing us to feel like this in the first place. I like mm-hmm. to do some teaching. Um, and then if we are experiencing, um, if she's experiencing something that does sound like it's an echo of trauma, then yeah, we'll get into that trauma work. Um, especially if one of the ways that I like to help people find trauma is to ask them about incidents that changed their belief about their selves, God, other people, or the world for the worse for good. Is there that thing that you're like before that? And then after that, I said, I would never this, or I'll never that. A lot of times we find trauma in that space. And that's a good place to go back and start doing the work because we can get stuck at the age that we made that decision. We can be 10 years old, 14 years old, 21 years old, and living our life that way when we're 40 years old or 50 years old. And so I like Mm. to look for those Um, before and after moments in life. And that may be a place for us to start. And the earlier we find it, the more powerful it is to correct it. I think it's powerful. I hope y'all are listening. I'm going to do some digging in regards to just like those specific life events. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I think many times we are dealing with untreated trauma that we don't know of. And it's just been showing up in different forms and never, ever given attention to it or slowed down enough to actually address it. Um, There are people that are doing the therapy that are actually in community that are actually going to church and doing the things that will help them live their best life. They don't want to allow some traumatic experience of the past to rob them of present day joy or present day experiences. Like, I don't want to continue to live my life where I can't get out of the bed or I don't want to rob me from my next birthday experience because I'm dealing with this. What would be your your advice to a person that's in that space? Like, I'm doing the stuff that I know helps, but I'm Mm -hmm. still having a hard time present day experiencing the beauty of today. Yeah, absolutely. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, If you have 
you're working out, you're eating well, you're spending time with other people in healthy relationship spaces, you're pursuing your passions, but there's just that thing inside that's just still not there. You're waking up super anxious or you have periods of depression where it's like, I haven't been out of bed for a few days. And then you come back and fake those text message responses like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you. I've been super busy, but really you were in bed because you just couldn't get out. You know, you may be struggling with a mental illness. It may be depression. It may be an anxiety disorder. Go get some help. If you feel down more days than not, more hours of the day than not, it's okay to get some help. It is a biological space that we can help with. And it's not always medication immediately. Sometimes we can have other interventions. But if you're still struggling when you've done all of the things that we all have access to do, I encourage you to to seek therapy. It's no different than going to your medical doctor for your bodies, tissues, it's all the same. You know, we talk about mental illness as something different than a physical illness, but they're all physical in that it doesn't come from outside. It arises from inside. So as long as we have bodies, we're going to have things that happen. But because we have such a stigma on emotion, I think that that feeds the stigma on mental illness. If I'm not allowed to be sad, I'm definitely not allowed to have depression. If I'm not allowed to be scared, I'm definitely not allowed to have an anxiety disorder. So really embracing our emotional lives, I think, is a very important part of us being well. God put it at the center of how we function. And so going into that space, leaning into emotional experiences that we enjoy, you know, sometimes when something really great happens, I will just stop and memorize how my body feels in that moment. You know, what did it feel like to, what does it feel like to read those book reviews? Like the things that people are writing, man, that's amazing. Like God's answering my prayers for how lives are being changed. Like it's okay to like lean into those joys, just sit and feel that. Remember that in your body. And then when we experience pain emotionally, we can sit and allow that too. It's really important for us to change the relationship we have with our feelings. I'm going to ask something that I think I know the answer to, but I do want to hear your perspective on. Can people take it too far with emotions? Um, Like, can they start to wear trauma like a badge in a, to the point where it has no end for trying to get through it or be better? Just want to say, like, I'm the anxious one. Like, is there a space or a point at which it's mm-hmm. unhealthy? I don't believe that anybody wants to be in pain. And okay. sometimes... And I teach this to my counseling students as well, that sometimes from the outside looking in, if we become exhausted with trying to help someone and we haven't been able to figure out how to help them, we will label them kind of unhelpable because that lets us off the hook. Oh, some people just not ready to change. Some people just don't want to do it yet. And what you're really saying is I've tried to help this person and I can't seem to help them and I need to feel good about that. So I'm going to condemn them to make it okay that I wasn't able to help. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I don't believe anybody's walking around just like, man, I love being anxious. This is so good. Like, I don't believe that. Um, I don't think, I think what we need to understand is that emotional pain indicates an unmet need. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And so they're not getting their needs met. Emotional pain is just like hunger. When my body is hungry, I know I need food. If I don't eat for a long, long time, the hunger pangs will get worse and worse. And then I might just break off and eat something I shouldn't. I might just break off and eat something unhealthy. I'll go to the grocery store and buy the fried chicken instead of buying the grilled chicken because I let myself get too hungry. When we are sad, all the forms of sadness, we need connection. 
And a lot of times we will push past the sadness, but we don't meet the need for the connection. So the need gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then maybe we suddenly get that need met the wrong way. But it's not because the emotion was a problem. It's because the need went unmet for so long. So when I break off and eat, you know, Popeye's, I don't want to be out here speaking about a brand, but let's say I get out here, I eat something that's not healthy for me. I don't go back and say, man, hunger is such a bad thing. I say, I I don't say that. I, I don't say I just got too into my hunger. I didn't meet the need and it undermined my choice in terms of healthy need. So when I'm sad and I need connection, I need companionship, I need emotional connection and I don't let myself have it. I don't call the friend. I don't um, go and sit with a group of people who love me. Then ultimately I may react in a way to get the need met that is not healthy, but that doesn't make the need bad. Just like it doesn't make hunger bad. Anger suggests a need for boundaries, a need for worth. I get angry when something valuable has been devalued. I may get angry because I have been treated disrespectfully and I'm valuable or my child has been treated poorly and they're valuable. Anger is our response when something valuable is treated as less than that. And then we need boundaries and we need to establish worth. And if I keep going with that need unmet and then I finally blow up at the Thanksgiving table, It's not because there's something wrong with anger. Emotions made me do it. A need. A need. And finally, the need got met. (laughs) Not a great way. And same thing with fear. Fear is a need, is a hunger pang for safety when I don't Mm -hmm. feel safe. And so what do I do to help me feel safe? Instead of saying, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Guys are giving me a spirit of fear. And now you're just running with this unmet need for safety. It's like running a marathon without bringing snacks with you. Nobody runs a marathon without eating along the way because you have to meet your body's needs to do the work. And so many of us are chasing goals and we're trying to achieve what we want to achieve and we do achieve it. But because we didn't get our emotional needs met along the way, we achieve it and collapse. Or we achieve it fulfilled man, I did all of that and this is it. I don't feel, I still don't feel this. I still don't feel that because those needs are not going to be met by the goal. So we show up hungry at the finish line. It's not the emotion. That's the problem. That's the hunger pang. It's our refusal to let our needs be met. And just like you need food, air, and water, you need connection, worth, and safety. And when you try to keep moving without those things, you will ultimately collapse. Whoa, heavy, heavy. I'm going to ask you this last question. It's personal to you. Okay. Um, I feel like we've met the therapist, the doctor. I want them to meet the woman. Um, if you had to, if you had to give me the greatest revelation that you met at the intersection of faith and mental health and, um, in culture, what do you feel like has been the biggest thing that God has used to transform you specifically? Mm. That it's not about being right or wrong. It's about there being more. In this effort to figure out, sometimes, you know, there's clear things, but a lot of times we're struggling, like, what was the right thing? Is that the wrong thing? And it's, and I'm, I'm learning that in the hardest spaces, it's rarely that black and white. It's that I'm looking at it too narrow. Okay. And the broader and wider my vision, my perspective, the more truth I can see. And so when I stop just trying to figure out exactly what was right, exactly what was wrong, and I start saying, God, show me the big picture. There's so much truth in the big picture, so much freedom in the big picture. Sometimes you need relationships to help you with that because someone else's perspective is different than yours. And we can together see the whole picture. Sometimes my desperation to know what the right or wrong thing to do is makes me narrowly perceive the love of God, which is so much bigger than any of this. And so... 
Yeah. It's not always about what, what's right and wrong as about how much am I missing? What more is there? And this willingness mm-hmm. to not know all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That it, it, it speaks to a depth um, in terms of just walking with the Lord that he always has more to give and always more to show. Um, I don't know. It, it, it does something for me. I even feel it in my body. Mm. Just the, the revelation of that idea. Amen. Um, yeah. It almost loosens you uh, yeah, to not does, have right? to go so, yeah, <laughs> go so hard for it to be right or wrong. So I appreciate that. This is something I've asked everybody that's been on the podcast. What is your secret sauce for the season? My secret sauce for this season? Oh, mm-hmm. worship. Woo! Worship. This it. year has been so much about worship and that worship bringing me constantly staying in contact with the tangible sense of how loved I am by God. That This oh love God. relationship between me and God, this like give me butterflies level love. And um, I'm going to say Todd Galbraith's uh, Encounter album. That is my album of the year. Like, <laughs> I love has, it. I love oh, it. Oh man, that is my album of the year. And there's been other beautiful worship songs as well that ministered to me this year. But that album has just shifted into my center space. Um, but yeah, this that's been my secret sauce. Worship that brings me into contact constantly with His love. Like just how much God is, how much He's in love with me has made me just fall deeper in love with Him. It's a, it's a butterfly. It's a butterfly thing. I mean. Man, I'm loving Jesus. So yeah, that's it. That's it. So beautiful. Thank you for all of the wisdom and all of just the fullness of you. I I appreciate so much that you bring all of you to the table. I'm sure you being able to allow the collision of all the uniqueness that God brought together may not have been easy from the beginning. I can only assume that just how custom made you are was... I don't know. It's brilliant. And I'm grateful that the father allowed someone to exist in the earth that would uh, specialize in so many different things, but be able to bring them together so well. You've been blessed and I appreciate you for being on Permission Talk. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.